that would be terrific. Uh, 2 Peter, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. This morning we'll probably try to get down to about verse 13, somewhere like that. Uh, The Apostle Peter writes, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commands given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, God's word, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So I need to read verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to that day. Let's pray together. Father, again, I, we pray that you would take your word and use it to minister truth and grace to us that the teaching about Jesus' return and the end of the world might impact us, how we think, how we speak, and how we act. We ask and pray in his name. And everyone said, Amen. Jesus is coming back. When I became a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus, we used to hear that just about every week. In fact, I became a Christian in the early 70s, And a guy by the name of Hal Lindsey wrote a very world-famous book, uh, Late Great Planet Earth, in the 1960s, in which he was predicting, basically, that Jesus would be coming back in about the 1980s, 1988 at the outside. He'd be back before then. And there are other books he was coming in the 90s, and more books saying he's coming in the early 2000s. And when you keep hearing something and it doesn't happen, then after a while you begin to tune out, don't you? Delay it put it off and it drops off the agenda and it becomes on the back burners of our life and other things take over. The Apostle Peter is writing to the early Christians because they had the same tendency and issues and wanting to remind them the teaching of the truth that Jesus Christ is returning to the earth needs to be front and centre. It's a dominant theme of the scriptures. Jesus came the first time to deal with sin, he'll come the second time to deal with sinners And depending if you believe or not that he'll set up a millennium on the earth, if you believe in a millennium, a thousand-year reign of the King of Kings on the earth before the end of the world, then he will come back and he will remove all politicians, all kings, all presidents and prime ministers, and he will be the ruler of the world. 
And he will show the world, this is how you do it. He'll fix all injustices. This is a dominant theme of the scriptures. Next to faith and relying on the Lord, this is probably the most dominant. Remember the number 1845. 1,845 times the Bible talks about this. That's a lot of times. The day of the Lord, the end of the world, the coming of the Messiah. One in five scriptures deal with the end of days or his second coming. One in five. For every verse that speaks about his first coming, there are eight verses that talk about his second coming. For every verse that speaks about his death, his atonement for the sin of the world, there are two verses that talk about his second coming. It's a dominant theme. 21 times the Lord Jesus himself personally referred to it. 50 times in the New Testament we are reminded to be ready for it. It's a dominant theme. And in this chapter particularly, uh, there's extra insight and revelation. The Lord Jesus himself said, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms, and I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, that where I am, there you may be also. The Lord Jesus is coming. When is he coming? We don't know. But the New Testament emphasises, and this passage certainly emphasises, that we are to be ready to anticipate, to live in the light of it. Way back in the beginning when there was creation, if the edge of the platform is the end of the age, the end of this age, the Bible divides everything into two ages, this age and the next age. The whole Bible is moving towards the end of this age and with the coming of the Messiah we got right to about here and it was one step before the end of the age and when Jesus died, rose and ascended to heaven it's like God took a right hand turn and now we are walking right along the end, edge of the end of day. It's been 2,000 years so far but we are one step from here into the next age. It can happen that quick. That's the point. That's the, the thrust of the biblical picture for us of how this goes because the days we are living in from here his ascension until his return this in the bible is called the last days the last days from our perspective which is very different to God's perspective from our perspective 2,000 years is hardly the last days but from God's perspective it's one step we are in the last days and the bible teaches us certain things that are going to happen in the last days and Peter is certainly picking up on that. Um, Peter tells us, uh, above all, he says in verse 3, you must understand that at last day scoffers will come. They get it wrong. They get it wrong because if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 1, they get Jesus wrong. There were false prophets among the people in the Old Testament. There will also be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. When you get Jesus wrong, everything else gets out of kilter. But when you get him right, when he is in his right place and you are submitting to his teaching, then everything else comes together. So Peter in this passage tells us to look back to the scriptures, look around at the scoffers, be aware, but also to look ahead to the Saviour who is coming. So that's our thing. Live like Jesus is coming. Peter says, dear friends, this is now the second letter that I've written to you. 
commentators like and scholars like to write articles about which is the first letter and the majority of commentators say not all but the majority say the first letter was first peter <gasps> what a shock but there are others who conjecture, no, there are other letters and this is the second letter that he wrote and they're, they're written to different people and it doesn't really much matter. I like to think of it, the first letter is the first letter and the second letter is the second letter and he says so there. I've written to you, I've written both letters and I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to stir up the way that you think. I want you to think correctly and sincerely and wholesomely about these truths. Don't be distracted by the busyness of life, Peter says to them. And then he gives this amazing insight. I want you to be able to recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets as contrasted to the false prophets who are around now. The holy prophets are the prophets of the Old Testament. That's God's word. I want you to be able to recall the words previously spoken by the Old Testament scriptures and the commands of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ as delivered by his apostle. That's the New Testament, particularly the Gospels. Peter in this verse brings together the Old Testament and certainly the Gospels, the New Testament, and that this is God's written revelation to us. There is no more inspired scripture that is coming. God still has prophets, God still has Bible teachers, God still has ways of communicating his truth, but it's not inspired, it doesn't have authority. The authority of the Lord Jesus gave to his 12 apostles, 10 apostles 11 apostles, have been passed on to the scriptures. The scriptures are now our authority. That's why we read it, that's why we teach it, that's why we submit to it. And it's these very same scriptures that have been talking about scoffers and false prophets coming. They spoke about the Lord Jesus coming twice, a first time and a second time, which we didn't really understand until we, he came the first time. And then we came to understand, ah, he came the first time to suffer and to deal with sin. He's coming a second time to reign in glory. And when you read the Old Testament, that now makes clearer sense for us. Above all, he says, I want you to understand this in the last days. Don't be surprised by this. Look back to the scriptures and anchor your faith and life on those. But when you look around, there'll be people who are scoffers. There'll be people who will make fun. To scoff at something is simply to treat it lightly, what should be taken very seriously. And if you're a person who shares your faith, you will have encountered scoffers. People will scoff about the Bible. People will scoff particularly about the Lord Jesus. You'll get the... The roll of the eyes, you'll get the intimidating line of questions. You're not one of those Bible-bashing Christians, are you? You don't believe that book literally, do you? Are you one of those narrow-minded, closed-minded, evangelical idiots? Scoffers who would dismiss. A thousand years ago, I used to teach RI in school. And kids in primary school, eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds, the Bible is full of contradictions and myths. There's no way that a child of that age would know that. Somebody said it to them. Parents, friends, neighbours, whoever. Scoffers, just dismiss it. Don't have to pay any attention to it. They're in the world. And Peter says, above all, you must understand that in the last days... In these days, scoffers will come. They will be here. Don't be intimidated by it. They have both intellectual issues, some of them, but they tend to have a wrong attitude towards authority and to God. And then Peter picks up and says they want to follow their own evil desires. They want to do their own thing. 
The reason they dismissed the Bible and the reason they dismissed the authority of the Lord Jesus is because they want to be in control of their own life. That's what is the base level motivation for most false prophets and false teachers. But they also have an intellectual problem, or they try to justify it. They say in verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? said he was coming. You know, it's time, isn't it? And they reason, well, he hasn't come because he's not coming. Either he was deceived or misled, or he never, in fact, really left. He never really ascended. He never really promised those things. It's just been distorted, twisted. Everything goes on just like it did ever since our father. It's been going on for centuries and millennia. Nothing has changed. Will the sun come up tomorrow? Yep. Will it go down today? Yep. What will it be like on Monday? Tuesday? The same. Will we be here next week? Probably. Will we? Don't know. And when you stop and really think about it, we don't know. And we don't tend to want to think about those things, to think about our own mortality and to think about we could be gone. Peter says these guys reason this uniformitarianism. Everything goes on just as it has since the beginning of the world. But notice verse 5. They deliberately forget something. They deliberately push it aside. They know what the Bible says. And Peter gives us three arguments. He says that's not true that everything goes on as it was and they know it. But they choose deliberately to ignore it. Firstly, the universe has not always existed. <clears throat> the universe is not uniformitarian in terms of its behaviours. It had a beginning. There once a time, was a time when it was not here. That's what Peter goes on to say. Long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being <clears throat> and the earth was formed of water and out of water. It was like, and if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, the earth was covered with water, it's like it's been buried, and then it comes up out of the water because God separates the waters above from the waters below. Dry land appears and the earth. And that's the planet that we know. Well, not quite. It's slightly different. Because there's something else that happened in our world, in our history, which is just about in every culture, as far as I have read or, or know, it's remarkable how widespread this truth is. By these very same waters out of which God made the world, God used those same elements, water, to destroy the world in the flood of Noah. Which is in every culture, as I said, throughout every continent, I'm not sure about every nation, but certainly in most of the nations, they have a flood story. They have this memory, this story passed on through their traditions. Permeates. Which goes to show that the flood was worldwide, wasn't local. And with that flood, to remind you as well, that God said he put a rainbow on the sky, which meant what? A promise. I'll never do this again. I will never send a flood to destroy the world again. And he hasn't. There have been local floods, but there hasn't been a worldwide global flood. God has kept his promise. But notice this. The world wasn't always here, the universe. God started it. And if he started it, he can end it. And he will. God has intervened in our human history, and we know that because of the flood. There are other times when he's intervened as too, but Peter doesn't talk about that. But also, Peter says, by this same word, the word of God, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. 
God didn't say that he wouldn't destroy the world again. He said he wouldn't destroy the world again by, wa by water. He is going to destroy the world by fire. And it's kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is coming a time when God will blow the whistle. There is coming a time when God will say, enough. And he'll step into the new age. The Lord Jesus will return and it'll be the end of this age and of this world as we know it and experience. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth to be different to this one again. And we're not told a lot of detail, we're just given little glimpses of it. <clears throat> the book of Revelation talks about, for instance, into the new heavens and the new earth, there is no sun. How can you have an earth with no sun? We don't know. God can do whatever he likes. There's not going to be any oceans. Sorry? So we, it's beyond us. The, the laws of physics are going to be different. You get a glimpse of it in the person of the Lord Jesus. When he rises from the dead, his body rises, but his body is now glorified and changed so that he can be on this side of the wall and then on that side of the wall. Seems like he went through the wall. We don't know how he did it. We just know that he suddenly appeared as a locked-up room in the upper room when he appeared to the disciples. There's something different about matter in the new heavens and new earth. Might be like Superman, might be able to fly. Don't know. But Peter says, these scoffers forget that. They say the world goes on as it, and it always will, but they forget there was a beginning. God did intervene in the destruction and God will intervene again at the end when he destroys everything and it's reserved by fire. It's interesting that we have a bit of knowledge about that, a little bit of a glimpse about it, because what makes up all of the matter that we know of in our world? atoms made up of protons and neutrons held together somehow mysteriously bible tells us it's by the power of jesus but we know what happens when you collide these two things hiroshima kaboom nuclear bomb in every part of matter that's around you is got reserved with fire that God can explode everything, pull it apart, and he will. That's what this passage certainly says. Peter goes on to say that the elements will melt with a fervent heat. It's going to be the destruction and the removal. As God created this universe, so he's going to uncreate. He's going to remove it entirely and then make a brand new one in which there'll be no evil, there'll be no sin. It'll only be righteousness. And for those of you who believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be part of that new heaven and new earth. You are, well, we all are eternal beings. That's whether you are going to be upstairs or downstairs. Peter goes on to say, but don't forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, <clears throat> a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years, a millennium, is just like a day to God. And in fact, the passage he is quoting is Psalm 90, which is written by Moses, the only psalm of Moses that we have. And Moses, in fact, says that a, the day of the Lord is like a thousand years or like a watch in the night, four hours. God is outside of time and time is different to him. He's the eternal one. And I do not begin to understand this, but he can see the end from the beginning. He can see all things at once. He is outside of time and everything is an eternal present to him. 
which helps explain why we can all pray at exactly the same time and he can hear every one of us because he is present for each one of us. Blows your mind, doesn't it? Even to try to begin to think about it. But the scoffers are rejecting that. God has the right and the authority to judge and he will. A thousand years, like a day. So to God, when Jesus left, that was a weekend. And a thousand years to him is just like an RDO, a rostered day off. The present creation is going to, just like uh, time is different to God, so time is different to us at different ages and in different situations of life. You get a, a slight glimpse of it. <clears throat> You, give, you tell a child, just wait five minutes, and it seems like an eternity to the child, doesn't it? You put them in time out for two minutes, and they'll be there for 30 seconds. Time up yet? They don't have that concept. You go to the doctors <laughs> and wait, and it seems to go forever. But it didn't. It's only minutes. But it seems a lot longer. And then Peter says this wonderful truth. On this Father's Day, it's good for us to be reminded of this that there is a reason, there is a very compassionate purpose why God took a right-hand turn as walking parallel to the end of this age. It's because God doesn't want anyone to perish. Pause and think about that. Our Heavenly Father, the triune God, the sovereign Lord of life and death, doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. If you ever ask yourself the question, what does God want me to do? This verse says, he wants you to come to repentance, to come to a change of mind about him and about yourself and about how you should live your life, to repent and to adjust yourself accordingly. This verse wonderfully says that God is very patient with us. He has this amazing capacity to tolerate mocking and scoffing generation after generation in the hope that people will come to repentance and belief in him i'm glad jesus hasn't come back yet i'm glad he didn't come back after a thousand years because i get to believe i'm glad he hasn't come back yet in one sense because my kids get to believe and my grandchildren will come to believe he's a compassionate god he's very patient with us he has this amazing capacity to store up anger which is long deserved and to wait and to wait generation after generation every year but there will come an end a time and we often think of that or I often think of that in terms of on God's divine calendar he's got the circle around the date when it's ending we don't know when that is obviously but that's how I tend to think of it. But Peter says something remarkable here. Uh, we'll come to it. God wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants you to come to an acknowledgement of your sin and to come to the Lord Jesus and ask him to forgive you. For some of you, you need to do that for the first time. You need to come to Jesus. For some of you, you need to come back to Jesus. You've been drifting. God is being patient with you. He wants you to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Surprise. Thieves don't ring up and make an appointment, do they? They just turn up when you don't expect it. 
That's the picture. That's how Jesus is going to come. In fact, Jesus spoke about, like it was in the days of Noah or like it was in the days of Lot, people are marrying and planting seed and going to work and signing contracts and doing all sorts of, going about their normal everyday life and bang, then the end came. So it will be at the end. He will come like a thief. There are signs that he has given that we can look and be prepared for, but those signs do not enable us to be able to predict the exact time. We need to live ready. Peter says here, the heavens... That's our universe, the solar system and the sky above us. Excuse me, will disappear with a roar. The elements that hold this matter together will be destroyed by fire, nuclear fusion, I guess. And the earth and everything done in it, boom, gone. Laid bare, fully exposed. And then the conclusion is, since everything will be destroyed in this way, because we know that's true, what kind of people ought we to be? We ought to be people who don't live just for this life. We are people who should be preparing to live for the next life. We ought to be holy and godly. As well as anticipating and looking forward to the time when God comes. And notice this verse, it's quite strange. Nobody knows what it means, but we have guesses at it. And hasten the day of his coming. Hasten it. You'll quicken it. You'll bring it closer. Uh, somehow how by living a godly life by being the person he calls us to be to become like more like jesus and in the process of us maturing in our faith and becoming like him that'll give us the opportunity then to witness and share the gospel with other people because peter tells us back in 1 peter chapter 3 that always be ready to give an answer to the people who ask you for the hope that you have they'll see a difference in you and they'll wonder about it why do you do that? Why do you have those standards? Why do you have those values? And then you can talk about the Lord Jesus. And then when all of the people from other passages, when the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, then the end will come. Jesus did say, and we're not, this is not our world at the moment, but we're heading towards it. Jesus does tell us in Matthew 24 that there will come a time when we as followers of Jesus, Christians, will be hated by every nation. Hated by every nation like I said we're not there yet but we're not far from it either the number of places where Christianity is allowed tolerated and that's our world we are in Australia it's closing getting less and less and less that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat but in keeping with his promise we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Our hope is not in this world. Where's your hope? Don't make the mistake like the scoffers do. Don't put all of your eggs in this basket in this world. Don't live just for this world. By all means, be sensible. You know, work hard, do your savings, invest inappropriately and have your houses and all of those things and enjoy this life. You're supposed to do that with a view to pleasing God. That's the key. Everything I do, whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, to the glory of God, for his purposes in this world. Don't hear me saying and don't distort this teaching into being, well, we need to quit our jobs and sell our homes and go live on a mountain somewhere and wait for the king to come back. Wrong response. Not to do that. We're to be salt and light in this world 
So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be spotless, blameless and at peace with him. We'll come back to that next week, I think. But those phrases, spotless and blameless, that's a picture of the lamb that was sacrificed. That's a picture of the Lord Jesus. In other words, make every effort to become like Jesus and to be at peace with him, to be right with him, to be forgiven, accepted like in the songs we sang this morning, and to be walking with him in obedience. Incredibly important. And I know you know all of these truths. The question is, are we doing it? There is a reason why the delay has happened. Peter talks about that. There was once an uncle, Uncle Joe, spoke to his nephew, a university student who was heading off to do his studies. And Uncle Joe said, so what are you going to do when you get out of uni? He said, I'm going to graduate with my degree, my degree and then I'm going to get a good job. Uncle Joe said, that's good thinking. Then what? Well, when I've got my good job, then I'm going to, you know, launch my career basically and I'll find someone and we'll get married and we'll settle down. That's a good plan. Getting married, having a family. Then what? He says, well, then I'll amass my fortune, I'll raise my family and eventually I'll retire. I'll sell my house, I'll go live in the country somewhere and I'll live it up. Hmm, that sounds very inviting. Then what are you going to do? And he thought and he says, well, I don't know, um, by then I'll be getting pretty old, I guess. After a while, I'll die. And surely you will, said Uncle Joe. And then what? There is another life, so plan ahead. Remember the bloke in Luke chapter 12, the rich farmer, had a bumper year, one year, everything just came together and went right and he had so much harvest that he had no room in his silos to store it all. And he sat down and he thought, what am I going to do with this abundance of wealth? And he thought about it <clears throat> and he planned. He had a strategy, which is a sensible thing to do. I'm going to knock those barns down, I'm going to build bigger ones and I'm going to have more of them, I'm going to store all of this stuff I'll have enough saved up for the rest of my life. I'm going to sit back, kick back and take it easy. This is the parable Jesus told. Sounds like a good plan. And then Jesus says, and that very night, God comes to him and says, tonight, I need your soul. You die. You fool. Sensible to plan, sensible to invest, but not just in this world in the next live in the light of the next lord what do you want me to do with this abundance to whom much is given much is required what do you want us to do with what you've given us lord how do i serve you with what you've provided for me not living for me but living for him and for others the lord jesus has delayed his coming and he has resourced us he's given us the bible the old and new testaments in order to guide us and instruct us in how he wants us to live the delay comes and with it comes the ridicule of the world. The world will increasingly reject biblical truth. So you should be aware of that and prepared for it. And not, you need to be courageous and not turned off by it. And in a couple of months, we're going to do some training and teaching on how can we be effective disciples of Jesus in this world? How can we tell our story to others? How can we talk to the scoffers and the mockers and those who ridicule us? We certainly need to love them and we need to pray for them and pray that God will convict them. 
the coming of the Lord Jesus is delayed, God is going to restraint on that to give us that very opportunity to be able to talk about Jesus with others. And so what comes with that is a resolve. We need to make grace a dominant factor in our Christian growth. We need to choose to be holy, to be obedient, to be the person God wants us to be. Let me finish with this. The emphasis of chapter 3 of 2 Peter is not for believers to wait passively for Christ to return, but that we live differently as we wait. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, again, on this Father's Day, thank you that you are a good, good Father, that you have provided all that we need to be the people you desire us to be. We have your word and your very great and precious promises. We have your spirit and we have brothers and sisters in your family. Lord, in the light of the coming of the Lord Jesus, help us to live differently, that the world might know that we follow him and that he is worth following, that he is the rightful ruler and owner of this world and he has the right and authority to destroy it. So, Lord, give us courage and boldness and obedience. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.